0: Well, good morning to you. I'm surprised none of you had anything to do this weekend. There's so many of you, I'm shocked, and I'm glad that you're here, that you actually took time on this May May long weekend, July long weekend, the sermon's starting out well, I can't wait to keep going. Anyway, (laughs) what I thought was really interesting on the worship team and uh, those who gave announcements this morning, um, there was three new Canadians and uh, it's only for you to figure out which ones they were. Uh, one was maybe a little bit obvious, but two were not. And uh, it, I think, really says something about who we are as a country. We are a country of new Canadians. And I know my family, the Bulmers, came to Canada in the 1800s, so we've been here a while, and uh, which is or isn't a great thing. And, uh, but I am glad you're here, and that you're here celebrating with us, This long weekend, this July 1st long weekend, let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus, as it's already been prayed, that our hearts would be open to hear your word. And God, I think we are all going to be pleasantly pleased and maybe even a little bit shocked at Acts chapter 11, verses one to 18. And I just pray, Jesus, that you would help us to reconcile ourselves with maybe some people that we have been in conflict with, where we have had very strong opinions with. And God, I've already tipped my hat. I've already revealed a little bit of a spoiler to the text today, so God, give us an anticipation for the truth that your word teaches. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. I wanted to start with a a little bit, I'm kind of starting it as a question. But my question is, and I want you to take it as a question, a family that prays together, stays together, question mark. A family that stays together or a family that prays together stays together a family that prays together stays together let me ask you why is it true does it help why would we think it helps have you ever thought about it have you ever thought well you know because then we all have the power of god etc cetera, etc cetera. no why do we when we pray together stay together if your definition or your view of praying is, give me this, Lord, give me that, Lord, bless me, Lord, then maybe the statement doesn't make lots of sense. But a family that is connected, and I wanna reword it, a family that is connected with God will have a real sense of unity. As the elders and I prayed last Tuesday morning at 6 a.m., We read through Acts chapter 11, but the first 18 verses, one of the elders, and I won't reveal which one, but it was a a really good question. He looked at me and said, have you ever had a church when a new direction this radical is revealed or laid out, had a response like this church did? I want you to understand that what we're going to read today is almost beyond belief. When you understand the upbringing, even the prejudice that the Jewish people had to non-Jewish people, when you understand how they viewed others as filthy and unclean and not worthy to be in their presence, especially religiously, what we're gonna read this morning is absolutely unbelievable. And let me say something, a family that prays together stays together. A while back I quoted a statement and I said, we are prone to judge ourselves by our ideals and other people by their acts. Putting it another way, we judge ourselves by our motives Don't you know why I did that? Or do you understand the root behind why I did that action? And we judge others instead by their actions. I want to say, as I said that a number of Sundays ago, that what really comes into play when we judge other people by their actions and not their motives, what really comes into play is trust. Or do we really believe that person? I can tell you, as I've had marriages come to my office and they begin to talk out their issues, it usually almost always boils down to a lack of trust. That trust has been precipitated, or that break in trust has been precipitated, by one or both of the spouses doing something really untrustworthy. Or it could be a bunch of promises not kept. And that lack of trust, that lack of believing what the person is saying or going to do, will cause a real breakdown in the marriage. So following this through, a family that prays together stays together, following this through, that church unity is very, I would call, reliant upon this, we really need to get this into our minds. It is taking me 50 years. As I heard, you know, Canada's 150 years old. I'm going, I actually remember the 100th anniversary. And that kind of scares me a little bit. And I go, am I that old? But it's taking me this many years to to get some of these principles of Scripture into my mind. Because I want to operate in the flesh so much. I wanna operate in judgment and criticism, and I wanna operate in a lack of trust for people. And I don't know where you're at. But as a family of God in your marriage and your relationship with your children, or as a church, this church, or the greater church in Grand Prairie in Canada, how do we keep united? I remember hearing of one denomination, they actually divided over this. When they would do believer's baptism, some people felt that you should be tilted backwards, and some people felt you should fall on your knees and go forward. This church divided over that. And you're going, oh, come on. You know what? I constantly underestimate The little things that, because I'm an entrepreneur, I'm always looking to improve and change, and sometimes I get it right, sometimes I don't, but I always underestimate how upset people get over slight little changes in the church, like baptizing forward or backwards. So how do we see the true motives in others? I am convinced that people who struggle with judging and trusting others have soul wounds of broken trust in their past, myself included. Today we will see how in the scriptures, hearing God, sound familiar? We're gonna do a big campaign this fall. Hearing God brings us trust and unity in the church and a church that prays together stays together. So in this text, and rightfully so, we know from Acts chapter 10 last week, that Peter has just had a radical transformation of theology. He is no longer Jewish and Jewish only. He now includes the rest of us, which we refer to biblically as Gentiles. And we know from last week that there was a series of events, unbelievable events, where God is speaking through various means in order to get his agenda, his unifying agenda across. So today we will see how hearing God brings trust and unity. And so in this text, chapter 11, Acts chapter 11, verse 1, we will see how rightfully so. Those concerned with Peter's actions, the early Christians in the Jewish church, they raise a question. They want to know what's going on. So listen as we go through it. Acts chapter 11, verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, now it was a certain group, these would have been the Jewish people, the Jewish believers, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. And you ate with them. And then Peter begins to explain his new direction, and it's almost an identical sermon to last week. It's basically saying the same stuff, but listen, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, And it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, if you didn't know, these animals that Peter just saw were considered unclean. If you are to read in the Old Testament, especially from a certain part of the Old Testament, you would begin to read things that they could and couldn't do, animals they could and could not eat. I replied, surely not, Lord, being a good Jewish boy, nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Now, before I get into the whole point, to the very last few verses of this uh, passage we're going to go through today, I didn't talk about it last week, but I wanted to just take a little bit of a, a side direct to explain something here. And this was commonly understood by the early church, and I would say in the recent years of the evangelical church, it has been one of the most misunderstood doctrines that we have to get our heads around, myself included. That the Mosaic law, and that would be the religious laws, the how to dress, how what to eat, you know, what to do and where to go, they were nullified and void. Do not misunderstand me, the whole Old Testament has not been nullified and void. But those things within the religious laws, what to eat, what not to eat, what to wear, what not to wear, that's been nullified. It has been removed by Jesus. It has been completed by Jesus. And just in case you think I'm a heretic, I thought I want to look up one of my favorite theologians and see what he says on it. And if you've ever heard of a guy by the name of Wayne Grudem, now Wayne Grudem is actually a guy who helped translate the English Standard Version, a version that I've considered switching to because I like it. Wayne Grudem also has written some books and been partners in writing some books that I've really appreciated over the years, and I want you to listen to what Wayne Grudem says. The question of how we understand and relate to the Old Testament's moral laws is one of the most complex questions in Christian ethics, and in my opinion, many people throughout history have made mistakes in this area that have been harmful. Harmful. The conclusion that I've come to on this question is that first we should recognize that the Mosaic Covenant, which began under Moses' leadership in Exodus chapter 20, where God gave these laws to the nation of Israel, was terminated when Christ died. This is theology 101, guys. Hebrews 8 to 9 are very clear about that. Christians are no longer directly subject to the laws of the Mosaic Covenant. Now, a lot of times we like to quote from the Old Testament about, you know, you shouldn't tattoo your body, and whenever people would do that, I would show them a few verses later, you're not supposed to wear a certain cloth that's woven together, which we do all the time, and we're not supposed to eat pork if you keep reading, but you have to understand these are part of the Mosaic law that Jesus fulfilled. But once that, let me see, Christians are no longer directly subject to the laws of the Mosaic Covenant, but instead live under the provisions of the New Covenant. But once we agree that the Mosaic Covenant no longer has binding force on us today, we still have to realize that the Old Testament is a valuable source of ethical wisdom, and when we understand it in the way that is consistent with how the New Testament authors use the Old Testament for ethical teaching. In other words, some of our Trinitarian positions, theology, come from, right Genesis 1 and 2. Some of our other kind of doctrine and theology come from our understanding and the way that the Old Testament taught us. What we're referring to this morning that Jesus fulfilled was the Mosaic laws. The New Testament authors, for instance, explicitly reaffirm all the moral standards found in the Ten Commandments except for one. Anybody wanna guess what the one is? All of them have been reinstated in the New Testament or repeated in the New Testament except for one. In fact, there's one that it was explicitly said, it doesn't matter. The Sabbath, good, smart person. And yet there's still people around today, we gotta worship God on Saturday. That's the Mosaic law, Jesus fulfilled all that stuff. That's the one exception. So what is the old, tes- the, covenant, the old Covenant exactly? Another important point that people don't realize, always realize, is that when the New Testament talks about the Old Covenant, which is no longer binding on us, we have to realize that it is not referring to the whole Old Testament, but to the Mosaic Covenant that begins in Exodus 20. There is material in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, and in the early chapters of Exodus, that has to do with the teaching of right and wrong for all of life and for all of history. There's much in the Old Testament that isn't uniquely tied to God's covenant with Israel. Such as much of the wisdom literature like Psalms, Proverbs, and the book of Ecclesiastes where we find general teaching about wisdom for life. This is why Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. So you're following me. That's just a little side little note here on today's sermon to understand in Acts chapter 10 what happened. In Acts chapter 11, as Peter explains this now to the Jewish Christians, the circumcised Jewish Christians who would have thought what, Paul, what Peter did was anathema. What Peter did, having lunch and supper or whatever he did with them, was just a horrible thing. So reading on verse 11. Right then, Peter says, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying, The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. You see, God speaks. These six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He will bring you a message, and I love this, through which you and all your household will be saved. And what was that message? Was it the Mosaic Covenant? No, that's Old Testament, that's old law. It was Jesus, Jesus' death and resurrection. Verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, and as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I, listen to this, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Now watch the response. Watch the response. And this is where the elder's question came from. When they heard this, they had no further objections. And they praised God saying, so then... Even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And I'll just throw in a little dig here. The word repentance means a change. And this has to do with moral behavior and moral position and moral standing. We need purified. We need cleansed. We need forgiveness. We need to admit that we need that. We need to admit that Jesus died on a cross for our sins. So, what I'm saying today is not saying that our sins now, we don't have to worry about them, or that there are no sins anymore. That's not what we're saying. We're talking about the Mosaic covenant and that alone. And something significant and huge happened here, where the Jews now were able to receive in because God spoke and they listened. I just love their response, So, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And this may seem so trivial, but for a Jewish person, or even better, a bunch of Jewish people agreeing to receive, everybody agreeing to receive unclean people into the fold, something significant happened. A family that prays together, a family that connects with God and his agenda will stay together. Now, I went to Southland Church in Steinbeck about a year and a half ago. Well, actually, this was in October, this story. And I had been there in May, and then I took staff down because I really enjoyed what I was seeing. And uh, I saw such a a sense of unity and the Holy Spirit moving. Uh, People of one mind, and it was so cool. So I go to my billet. In the evening after, and and I have to tell you, Ray Dirksen, who started Church Renewal, I mean, I I trust the guy. He opens his mouth, I listen. Now, that took me a while to get there, I have to tell you that. I initially said, no, I don't need that. That's crazy. A bunch of crazy Pentecostal stuff is honestly what came out of my mouth in private to people. But Ray has built trust with me. I know he has the voice of God, and he loves the Word of God. So I love hearing what he says. So this story I'm about to tell you, it took me back a little bit. I'm sitting down with my billet, eating supper with him or late night snack, whatever it was, and he goes, I gotta tell you a story as we were talking about this, that, and the other thing about church renewal. He goes, a few years ago, he said, I got tired of Ray's preaching. He said, honestly, he said, I like his son much better. Now his son's style of preaching is a, is a lot more um, intellectual, I guess you'd call it. Ray's a much more of a storyteller style of preacher, kind of like Chuck Swindoll or Andy Stanley. Charles Stanley, he'd be a little bit more like what Ray's son is like. Good preaching, nothing wrong, knocking each one. So this guy's telling me I wrote a six-page letter Now, if you ever have heard Ray Dirksen preach, he he often talks about somebody that wrote him a six-page letter and how much it hurt him and what God did with him and spoke to him to keep unity within the church. This wasn't that six-page letter, because listen what happened. You see, Ray has been teaching for years to the people at Southland that God primarily speaks to you through the Word of God, and he uses other means too. And all the other means, of course, have to be filtered through the Scripture and they had to be filtered through Godly, trusted people and circumstances and a whole bunch of other stuff. But he's been teaching for years. So this guy's telling me the story. I wrote the six-page letter. I had actually phoned the church that day, had made an appointment for the next day to sit down with Ray and tell him why his preaching was so awful. And I'm sitting there going, "Wow, I'm glad you're not in my church." <laughs> Woo." And he goes, "I went to sleep. And I have a dream, I had a dream. And I want to tell you, this. I think it was even five or 10 years earlier this had happened. As he told me the dream, he started weeping. This is not a weeping kind of guy. He was a good old German stock, an intellectual thinker, and he starts weeping as he tells me the dream. He said, I was in heaven. And we're all walking around, and and he's really into computers and technology, so I get why God did this. We all have these little packets on our belts. It was like this electronic device connected to our brains. And every time we got close to somebody, information would start exchanging between these packets. And he's starting weeping and crying. And he said, I would see exactly the motives and the reasons behind it, and what that person was doing, and they would see what I was doing, and we would understand what God was doing, and we'd smile each other and we'd go on. And he said, I woke up in a cold sweat, just crying, and I knew right then and there that I was wrong. As God began to speak to me, I was wrong, and I phoned the church and I canceled my appointment. So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life, answering the question that one of my elders said, have you ever seen this in the church? I have, actually. I have seen it on elders' boards. I remember in Outlook, we, were gonna, we had a guy come candidate, I forget what position it was, And uh, I forget how many elders I had, there six. And I remember our pre-talk, I could tell three guys were like, "Nope, we shouldn't hire this guy. And then we prayed. And we prayed and we read some scripture. And then we discussed again. Six guys out of six guys decided we should hire this guy. It was kind of weird. I just want to say to you that if you're hearing voices, if you're hearing thoughts... If scriptures are coming to mind that, and and you remember, Satan can use scripture too, right? What did he say to Jesus? Put him up to the top of a pinnacle, and he started to quote scripture to him, take these rocks, turn it into bread, all sorts of different things. If you're hearing voices that are angry, divisive, vindictive, and you will discover something about me, and I'm always not good about this, but... If I have an issue with you, I sometimes may take weeks and months till I talk to you about it. Do you want to know why? I want to make sure it's from God, and I want to make sure I'm doing it for the right reason. I'm not afraid to talk to people about moral stuff. Don't get me wrong. I'm not afraid to say, if you're having a sexual relationship outside of your marriage, I'm going to talk to you. And if there's a sense of urgency, I'll sometimes forego my feelings. But I can get just as indignant and mad about stuff as you do but I always wanna make sure that I have the Holy Spirit in me. I always wanna make sure that when I speak to somebody about stuff, it it leads to conviction, but that that conviction turns into repentance, which as the scriptures say, turns into life. I wanna be careful that a lot of what I'm saying and doing isn't just my opinion. And to these Jewish people, they had some pretty strong opinions, And in fact, if you look around today, there's some pretty uh, left and right-wing Jewish people in the world. And they have some pretty strong opinions, but I can tell you in the early church there was this incredible sense of unity. So in conclusion, we as a church, let's commit to having open dialogue and conversations with lots of Jesus thrown in, and if you're ever upset with somebody, you know, I will tell you what the flesh will do. The flesh likes to gossip and talk around. And I fall victim to it now and again too. Somebody that upsets me, I want to talk around about it. What does Matthew 18 say? If you've got an issue with the brother, they've sinned against you, you feel offended by somebody, you're upset by how they're behaving, you go talk to them one on one. And if they receive you, good. Sometimes you get an explanation. You hear the motive. And you go, okay, well, maybe it wasn't what I thought it was. And it's the end of the issue. If that doesn't work, the Scripture says, then you take another person with you. Why do you think Scripture says that? We've often thought because then we get double hard on the person. Actually, sometimes when you talk to another person to say, okay, have you noticed this in the brother? They're doing this or that or the other thing. They'll go, hmm, I think you're wrong. Or sometimes you might pray together and the other person will go, hmm, what's your motive here? Like, why are you doing this? and then it says to bring the person to the whole church now if things have gotten that far friends and nobody's speaking against it then it probably should come to the whole church and this group of elders this church has done that repeatedly but let's commit to having an open dialogue number two the church is under attack to be divided would you agree with me do you think we have an enemy out there? Do you think we have a world out there that wants to divide? I just read a story this week of a group of people in Hamilton, and I don't know the whole truth because sometimes the media can't be sure but they weren't even LGBTQ people, but they went to the mayor and they were petitioning and they had masks on and they were trying to make the LGBT people look really bad. And I thought, is there really people out there trying to sow that kind of seed I mean, I may not agree morally with the lifestyle choices of that group of people, but to actually go out there and try to make them look bad, that's just evil. That's just wrong. The church is under attack to divide. Be super careful what you're going about in the church. And again, there are some times, if if you actually see me, even the pastor, the lead pastor of the church, and you see me being dishonest or cheating something, please talk to me. Don't go talk around about it. But talk to me. You see me speeding in my car somewhere, which sometimes happens, I admit it. I get a heavy foot, that's why we have cruise control. I don't buy a car without cruise control. I even use it in town, even though it's illegal. Because I'm afraid I'm gonna speed. If you're hearing thoughts of, and ideas that are destructive, mean, divisive, and holier than thou, God does not speak that way. God is gentle and loving, and he speaks the truth that convicts, the truth that brings life, not death. And I have one question to ask you to finish with. Is there any reasons that you can think of to divide a church? I bet you every one of you came up with something. Moral failure, church not, not willing to take a position or a stand on some ethical stuff, yeah maybe. Did you know, and I get this from a district superintendent when I was in college, who'd been a district superintendent of 70 churches for 20 years at the time. And he said in his 20 years as district superintendent of 70 churches, he had not seen one church divide over doctrine. He said almost always it was over personality and opinion, style of music, style of preaching, how we should sit in the pews, what we should wear. And I constantly underestimate how divisive little changes in the church can divide, but... May we make Jesus the most important thing and leading the Bible our second and most important thing. May we all be listening to God, praying together so that we we stay on task and we remain united. Notice I started the very first point in my sermon. These circumcised Jews rightfully had the right to come and ask the question. The dialogue isn't the problem. The open conversation isn't the problem. The problem is how our hearts can get so self righteous. I mean, there's sometimes I know I'm in the right. I know that what I'm thinking and doing is biblical, but I can tell you the way I'm about to approach it or approach it becomes really wrong. And there have been times where I have been in the wrong, and I've had to apologize, knowing that that would be used against me later. And I'm, one thing I'm thinking, I had a conflict with an elders board. I blew my top. I'm glad to say I haven't blown my top in a long time at an elders board. Maybe got a little bit, hair raised a bit, but I haven't. When it, blowing top, I walked out of the meeting. I was that mad. And that was over 20 years ago. And I remember sitting in my office, (laughs) elders meeting still going on, I can picture the guys sitting around looking at each other and God spoke to me and said, well I won't repeat what I think he said but it was basically you're being so silly get your butt up there and apologize. And I remember saying, but God, they'll use it against me. I know I was wrong. I I know that I was right at first, but by blowing my top and walking out, I was wrong. I don't want to go apologize because look at the point I was trying to make and God said, oh, suck it up. Go and apologize. Even though it was used against me a little bit later, who did the right thing? a church that prays together, a church that's connected with God, oh, we might have our moments, the circumcised believers, those, those ones that are so righteous, we might have our moments. But hopefully, when the Spirit is in it, when we stop and pray, when we connect with God, then a lot of the little silly little theological differences the little minor things. And if you didn't know, I have two camps. I have primary doctrines in my heart and I've got secondary stuff. And the secondary stuff, if we can disagree to agree and not agree on some of that stuff, that's okay. But primary stuff to me is the condition of man. We're sinful. A primary doctrine to me is Jesus Christ was both God and man. A primary doctrine to me is that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that I could be reconciled with the Father. Those are primary doctrines eschatology and end time stuff, that's a secondary thing. I would like to debate it with some people. I enjoy it. You know, what's going to happen in the end times? You know, well, I've got this verse, and you'll bring out that verse. You know, we can enjoy that. Let's, let's not divide us over that. But as we pray together, and as we go into church renewal, by the way, we're going to this fall start with hearing God, so that when God gives you some dreams... When God gives you visions, as he gets you all stoked up about good stuff, we're gonna be moving together in unity as a church. And then in about a year or so, we're gonna start doing, a, this fall we'll be doing some praying together stuff too. But in about a year, we wanna really launch off this real solid once a month Sunday night praying together as we build some solid foundations first. And as we start moving together, I wanna to see us so unified, so together. I want the world to be surprised. I mean, Jesus' last prayer, he basically said, God, help them to stay unified. Man, we got opinions. And you know what's gonna keep us together? God, hearing him, humbling ourselves, who being, following the example of Jesus, who being in the very nature, God did not consider all that authority and power something to be grasped, but he humbled himself even to death on a cross. It wasn't about him and his rights and all that stuff. It was about others. The Scriptures declare, considers others more important than yourself. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, as I read about the early Jewish Christians and and the Jews I know collectively as a culture, were very unique and very exclusive of others. They have been warned repeatedly not to accept in and take in ideas of the neighboring nations. And yet we have this incredible, radical transformation and change in direction as a church, the early church. A church that really was still struggling with a lot of the Mosaic law and how that all fits into faith and faith in Jesus alone. And yet when Peter had these unbelievable circumstances happening in different parts where a guy seems to know where he's staying and and he gets this vision and this trance and all these different things are happening, God, you can do and weave together your story. And as we as a church from, well, we had a couple Americans and somebody from Africa and uh, on the stage here, and we have people in the pew from different parts of the world, if we can all come together with our different backgrounds and culture, we can be unified in Jesus. A family that prays together, a family that connects with God and hears your voice will have unity. And as we sit together and logically talk, it will be a unifying factor. And especially, God, as we start talking from the scriptures and we talk about how you've spoken to us and talk about the circumstances to lead to this or that change or experience. May we be that church, as the question was asked by one of my elders, would we be that church, God, where people can say, well, that church, man, they're just like Acts chapter 11. Uh, They just answered the question, oh, I guess God is with the Gentiles now. God, give us that clear sense of direction. Help me as a pastor to lead clearer, telling the God stories. Help the elders to hear clearer and tell the God stories to the congregation. Help the congregation, if they have issues, to to dialogue and, and tell the God stories. Keep us from satanic influence that would desire to destroy, divide, tear down, diminish, bring in a lack of trust. And God, may we, as we follow your Spirit's leading, may people actually begin to see the motives of each other led and filled by the Spirit. May we, may we be really open and clear about telling the God stories in our lives. Help us in our marriages to, to begin to pray together and to begin to see God's vision in the same page and, and God's direction in the same way. And may there just be a real sense of unity in our marriages and with our children as we raise them up in this hearing God stuff and, and praying together with God and, and getting God direction and being in the word God. May there be a sense of real family unity. I think about how the media and movies portray the Amish almost with a sense of reverence by the way that they can love somebody that kills their children. They can even take food to them in prison. And the media just seems to be shocked May we be a church known that way as we have our faith and deed ministry that helps those that are on the streets and have had a lot of bad stuff dealt with them, mixed with a little bit of bad decision. God, help us to be loving and be seen by the community as loving. And help the community to see that we do care about each other. And so, God, there may be some conflict in the church that I don't know about, but you do. There may be somebody here right now festering a theological point or difference, and it's just driving them to the point where they just want to go. There may be somebody here who's already begun to talk a little bit about others. God, we want to bring and have and experience such a sense of unity, open dialogue, and a sense of God leading and directing. And God, I am very fast and quick. I want to tell this story of renewal in our church. I want to tell the story of soul care in our church. I want to tell the story of Holy Spirit encounters in our church and how you, God, are beginning to move in the grassroots, healing our souls, healing those hurts and pains in the past so that we can see each other and trust each other and love each other. God, a family that prays together, stays together. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.